Himalaya. I'm Colleen Sedmanyi, and this is Yoga for Life. There's an underlying belief that somehow we aren't enough, that we are unworthy frauds and losers. In Yoga for Life, we will uncover these self-imposed limitations that are keeping us from contentment and freedom. We will talk about caring too much what others think, fear of not adding up, seeking comfort, divorce, aging, relationships, grief, power, and of course, sex, one of my favorite topics. In this podcast, you can expect open, real, and raw dialogue about what keeps our hearts heavy, spirit hidden, and potential limited. We will give you yoga tools to peel back the layers, to find compassion and love for the person that is living in your body, and to learn to live the present moment fully with all of its glory and its pain. You're listening to Yoga for Life, a Himalaya learning production. For exclusive content like yoga videos to accompany the podcast that you've just heard, go to Himalaya.com and enter promo code YOGA for your first 14 days free. We hope you enjoy. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Every week, we will clear the slate and begin each podcast with a short meditation. You don't have to know how to meditate. You just sit. So find an easy seat. If you're comfortable closing your eyes, let your eyes drift closed. Notice if your inhalation or your exhalation is longer. Don't change it. Merely observe. There's not a right and there's not a wrong. inhale and the exhale. The inhalation moves down and fills up your beautiful body, and the exhalation slides up and out and offers to the world. So there's a receptivity, an absorption, and a letting go with the exhalation. Now the next time that you exhale, slow it down just a little bit. So take that breath in and then make the exhalation slightly longer, almost like you're sad to see it go. And then inhale, escort the exhalation all the way out. It's a slow, beautiful walk. And then inhale, 
and a complete exhalation. After your next inhalation, come back to everyday breathing. Watch your breath as though the key to the universe is embedded in that breath. Gather your hands in front of your heart, bowing your head to your heart. So this is a meditation to come back to when you're feeling anxious. When you're feeling anxious, chances are you're holding on to that inhale and you're not exhaling. Namaste. I am beyond honored, humbled, thrilled to be here with Judge Lynn Toller today. I'll tell you just a tiny bit about her, but these words do not even come close to explaining this extraordinary human being. Lynn became a judge in Cleveland, Ohio at the age of 33. 13 years on the nationally syndicated television show, The Divorce Court. Currently, she co-hosts on WeTV's Marriage Boot Camp. Author of several books, Making Marriage Work, My Mother's Rules, and Dear Sonali, Letters to the Daughter I Never Had. Her podcast course called That Conversation will drop on Himalaya on July 28th. Judge Lynn has the unusual ability to tell the truth in such a matter-of-fact, unbiased, unapologetic, unemotional, and extremely kind. Even when she is saying, you're completely wrong, you're out of line, and you need to step up and get your shit together. She has that skill of telling someone to go to hell, and they look forward to the journey. Her directness, consideration, humor, caring, and did I say kindness, blows me away. Come on, people, a judge that is not judgmental. Her advice spans all generations, and it is with the deepest pleasure that I introduce you to Judge Lynn Toller. Without a doubt, that is the best introduction I have ever had. <laughs> when you said going to hell and enjoying it, I can make you go to hell and enjoy the trip. That was wonderful. I'm going to have to keep this on speed dial and <laughs> show it to my children. You know, I meant every word of it, Lynn. Uh, thank you. I have sent your books to, I know you've got a ton of boys. I got four girls and two boys, and I've sent the book to all of them. Today's podcast is basically about comparison, judgment, acceptance, and self-love, right? Some pretty small topics there. You said that you've never really had that light bulb moment um, when you knew that you were going to be a judge, but through sheer hard work and getting yourself noticed, and then opportunities come up, and then you go in that, and you give it your all, and if that doesn't work, then you change gears. But how do we tell, or how do you tell, these 25-year-olds that look at us doing what we love and being paid well for it, but they didn't see what we went through and the number of times that we got knocked down and cried and got up and brushed ourselves off and then just kept going? 
And they're feeling useless because they don't know what they want to spend their life doing. They think that they need to find, you know, the job that will bring them purpose and money, and then they become disillusioned. So I would just love to hear what you would say to that, because I don't think that's just for 20-year-olds. I think that 60-year-olds are going through the same thing. Yeah, I think so, too. Part of it is a cultural thing. We've got Twitter and social media, and it's really cool. And you get a lot of likes when you say, you know, find your purpose, find your joy, find your job, and you'll never work again. It makes for a lot of good posts and sayings. But you have to realize that that's all that is. And that, I mean, I still don't think I have found my purpose other than for today, my purpose is to have a good time today. You know what I mean? I, you know, I may or may not cook. I may or may not. You know, my purpose is to have every day be better than yesterday. That is my purpose. I went to college to be a physician. Both of my sister and I did. She ended up being a physician. I just fooled around too much to do it. And I think I would have made a good physician. I think in a lot of ways, being a physician would have better fit my personality. But I did what I did and I made the best choice or I don't even know if it was the best choice. I made a choice at every juncture. You know what I mean? I was presented with it. And my mother always used to say, there's usually not a right and wrong to it. It's, it's a decision about deciding what set of problems you want to solve and, what's, uh, and what set of joys you want to experience. So me being an anesthesiologist would have set up certain joys and problems. Me doing what I'm doing sets up certain joys and problems. So it's not a I I found it. It's like, here I am on my journey. And it's so freeing to know that there isn't a place you need to be other than where you are right now, making the best decisions that you can. And that brings me right into judgment. What if today isn't better than yesterday? Did you make a screw up along the way? When I say better than yesterday, I don't mean necessarily that the day is better, but that you're better. So I've made a lot of mistakes and I have screwed up a lot of stuff, but I'm better than yesterday, even though I screwed up yesterday, if I learned from what I screwed up from. You know, you can't hide from your mistakes. You have to, you have to kind of gather them. Oh, look what I did. You know, this was stupid. Now, for the following reasons. Now, the next time something that looks like this shows up, so you're better even though you you made a bad call because you're smarter. Instead of putting on that armor so people can't see the mistakes that you made, and then you hide inside that armor so you don't make more mistakes. There you go. I mean, that is so true. In my first book, My Mother's Rules, where I talk about being a, uh, my mother was an emotional genius. Uh, One of the rules was don't believe the lies you tell other people. Sometimes you move the facts (laughs) around so that you don't have to feel foolish. But the, 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 the one person you don't want to fool is you. So you got to own it. And I've gotten into the habit of owning it out loud and outright. So uh, somebody can't uh, come at me. Yeah, but you said you were A, but really we see B, C, and D. And I, you know, I'll show you the whole alphabet because, <laughs> you know, I, I'm human. I don't need to be fabulous, uh, and uh, I don't need anybody thinking I'm fabulous because I will fail you if you do. And is that what Duchess taught you? Are you being Duchess to all of us that don't have a Duchess? And you can explain who she is. 
absolutely. Uh, Duchess is my mother. And, and, and my, my son, I, I told my sons to call her Duchess because I just thought it was a great name. She was an emotional genius. She was a person who could separate how she felt from what she needed to do. And to do that, she also was able to understand the emotional underpinnings of everybody else. And all of the best moments on the bench, either whether I was putting somebody in jail, taking somebody's money from them, telling them they can't hope, no matter what it was, whenever somebody before me hung his head and said, you know what, I see your point, it was because I took something my mother told me, wrapped it up in the right words that could hit that guy in the head, and I hit him in the head with it. Yeah, you do talk about not letting your emotions take you away and use your head and use your second set of eyes and whatnot. I want to put out there a quote by Gandhi, and he says, he says a violent man, I'm going to replace that with human, a violent man is less dangerous than an impotent one because there is energy that can be redirected. Can you just talk to us a little bit about this idea to redirect, you talk about redirecting emotions. They're not bad, but how do we do it? Yeah. First of all, that's a great quote. I never heard that before. But uh, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a really, really great quote because a lot of people are just sitting in a sea of not doing nothing and, and, and are paralyzed by the idea that there's a right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. And if I make the wrong decision, oh, my God, it's over. It's paralyzed from the decision, of, from, the, from the fear of making a mistake. The best example I always use about being able to manage your emotions is that when an airline pilot is in there, like Sullenberger, and the plane's going down, he had no engines, none. And he had a hundred and some odd people right behind him. And he told the tower he was going into the Hudson with all of the fervor. I tell my husband I'm going to the grocery store. I may even sound more frightened going to the grocery store than he did going into the Hudson because I never do a good job when I get there. But it's like he trained himself, like all pilots do, when, when they're crashing, they've got, what, 90 seconds, 120 seconds to decide what to do. And while they're deciding what to do, the tower asks them how many souls on board. And that means we know you might likely die. So we want to know how many folk you've taken with you. You got to answer that question, acknowledge that fear and still work through it. And those guys do it every time. Now, if you can train your brain to, to work through that 120 seconds before you might most possibly lose your life, we can learn to go to Walgreens and not yell at somebody because they asked us to put on a mask. I was listening to your, your book, Letters to the Daughter, that I never had on audio. I didn't think that my husband would want to hear it, right? So... I was like, you know, do you want me to go outside and I'll put in my earbuds, you know, and he's like, no, are you kidding? I want to hear this. And he was mesmerized for the whole four hours and 30 minutes. So even though I know a lot of your direction is towards women, you're touching a lot more people than that. To see it personally in my home was uh, beautiful. Yeah, I, I think my mother's rules, which was the first book I did, and my mother's outlook is is generally... For everybody, I wrote Dear Sonali because I had six sons and, and I have a lot of young women who follow me. So I thought I would just direct that one book towards that particular population. But emotional intelligence is for all of us, especially, you know, and since we tend to have male leaders, 
I think it is even more important for that particular population to get on top of how they feel and not tag their anger with passion and their fear with uh, impotence and examine and understand their emotions for what they are and acknowledge that they are feeling as opposed to thinking when they are feeling and not thinking. And I think a lot of a lot of us adults and particularly men don't do that. We assume rationality when in fact there's an under underlying emotion that is running the show. And they don't call it that either. It's derogatory to say emotional. And when you say emotional, <laughs> you see crying women, you don't see a hollering Hitler or, you know, but all of that right. is emotion. Even the male ego, it's how they feel about how, the, how other people feel about them. They feel in some sort of way, but calling it that, it's so judgmental and it feels like it devalues and it's not. Their emotionality doesn't make you less than. It's just something that you have to understand and acknowledge so you can control it. You can manage it. Uh, but I think that we're all emotional. We just demonstrate it in different ways, male and female, and we just need to acknowledge it for what it is so we can control. I mean, cognitive dissonance is all about how you feel about the facts. And you have to make the facts fit how you feel or you can't, you can't live with yourself. And a lot of decisions that you made as political leaders and all of that deals with that cognitive dissonance. You have these true belief systems and you try to fit, fit the facts to make those belief systems consistent. And um, that's where we get into a lot of trouble where we cannot come to common ground because we're unable to get past the emotionality of that cognitive dissonance and accept things that may be true that do not support your belief system because everything you believe can't be true. Right. But then what happens to your identity? Your identity is like, I believe this and I don't believe that. And the way I believe is right, so I'm not going to listen to that. Because then who would I be? Then I wouldn't know who I was. I want to stand firmly here. This is my identity. This is what I believe. This is who I am. And that's so very true. And my response to that is I shift a lot. One of the things I always tell people, if you see me a year from now, it's not the same chick. I'm going to be somebody different and I'll, I'll probably look a lot the same, hopefully, or I'll probably be a little chubbier, but I won't be the same chick. So my belief system is that I'm better all of the time. So that allows for me to discuss. I always say, uh, never, uh, go steady with your ideas, never marry them because that way when a new and better ones comes along, you, you can trade up without a whole lot of emotional paperwork. And so my identity is in growth. So it is not defined by a system. And I wish everybody could identify at least in part with growth. People are allowed to have beliefs and systems, but don't stand so close to them that the light of new and right can't get between the two of you. Because it doesn't make you any less who you are to realize that you've been wrong. It just makes you smarter. So, okay, we're going to come back to this idea of comparison, judgment, and acceptance, right? I think it was FDR that said that comparison is the thief of joy. But it seems like women have become um, experts at beating, beating ourselves up. I'll put myself in that category. 
Uh, it feels like it's become a form of self-inflicted violence. You know, from extreme exercise, counting every calorie and incessantly stepping on a scale, in some ways to weigh their worth. And then to the other extreme of staying on the couch, watching reality TV, and living on Doritos, Oreos, bologna, Coca-Cola, with an attitude of why should I even bother, right? Because I'm not going to add up anyway. I'm not going to look like those bikini-clad women on Instagram. You know, and then there's that feeling of you're over-caring for everyone, but not yourself, right? You, you take care of everyone else first, and then you're left in a depleted heap. Both seem like they come from a voice of feeling less than, not adding up. So I just want you to dive in and talk to us about comparison, judgment, and acceptance. And now I'm talking about women. Now I want you to just, even though men can listen in, I just really want you to direct the women that are going to these extremes and has become, I believe, a form of uh, violence and, and self-hatred. Yeah. I think that society throughout history, down through the millennia, have judged women by how much, how well, how good they look, what man they're, they're associated with, and how well they take care of others. Those seem to be the three things that society applauds us for, you know, being beautiful, getting married or, or, or getting hooked up with the right cat, and then uh, uh, taking care of that dude and those babies. And that we don't not have any intrinsic value absent how we either decorate other people's worlds with our, you know, I got this thing about men telling me to smile. You know, you be walking down the street, man, tell you to smile. And I'm like, one of two things is happening. Either you don't think I have enough wisdom to know how I feel, so you need to tell me. Or you don't care how I feel. I need to decorate your world. So even if my mother just died, I need to smile so you can look at me. It just really drives me absolutely nuts. And I just think that the slow and steady elevation of women to be human beings and people, to see them as people, will allow us not to judge ourselves so dynamically and desperately in those three categories. And I may be plump, but I can speak three languages. That has value. And we were so limited in, in what our value was seen as society. We have kind of bought into that. And I think that we need to, to, to let that go. To let both the judgment right. about sitting on the couch, about the, the vanity, the judgment about even hiding in a corner for fear of looking bad, it doesn't help to stay in that place because of the the judgment, the judgment, the fear right. of being judged by others. And I think it does stem from that incessant chatter that says that you're not enough. You don't add up. Everyone else is better. Everyone else is smarter and prettier. And you talk about, you know, finding something dumb to do every day. You use the word dumb, even <laughs> though the things that you're doing are not dumb. Maybe that's a way to, I don't know, to come towards some sense of acceptance, yeah. but then get off the couch and do something. Right. Absolutely. Sometimes we sit on that couch because we think our value is only in those, those, those areas. Like when I get questions from Yadis, like, what did your parents tell you about what to look for in a man? How do you know? You know, I, but, but, and I my parents never mentioned dudes to me. They were like, which Ivy League school and what kind of doctor? That's it. That's all they talked about. And 
I think that if we could take that expanded view of our value away from those those, those small things, and because we judge everything by our ability in those areas, and I just don't think, and and we judge our, and we're very harsh. I mean, guys are very. Um, I just love this about dudes. They have a sense of self. They have a sense of, you know what I mean? My husband does something wrong. He said, uh-huh. Well, I, I kind of figured that way. You know what I mean? It doesn't, doesn't debilitate him. I take my errors and I, I got to work with them for a while. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I screwed this up. And it was like, nah, you know. I emulate him when I can about the ease with which he lets go of the blame. The blame, that. but also doesn't let what other people say take him down, it sounds like. I know my husband is like that. We'll be teaching, we teach together quite often, and um, we'll be teaching yoga class. And after the class, you know, 10 people would be like, oh, my God, that was amazing. Thank you so much. And then uh, one person might say something uh, slightly off or negative or even insulting. And my husband will be like, oh, man, everyone loved that class. I think that we really got through to people. And, and I'll be like, oh, no, did you hear what that woman said? Right. I, I must have done something wrong. Um, so it, it is interesting. I think yeah. that taking a page from that, whether it's a man or a woman, but to be able to not only hear that voice of comparison, mm -hmm. um, of you did something wrong, and if you really did do something wrong, to realize what it was, to own it, to learn from it, and to come back again with even more vigor. It doesn't make you less than. It takes a little chip out of us each time. And I remember one time my husband said, I don't know how it is you keep score. Because I would, oh man, I really, this, that, and the other, I screwed up. And he said, you know, you did all these 72 things right. You did that 73rd one wrong. And that's all we're talking about. And, uh, I, you know, I, I bowed to myself one day, I'm going to learn to keep score like a dude. Because <laughs> they do a great job of it. And I don't know if it's because we are genetically or emotionally designed to take care of others because we're a mother. I don't know what it is. I don't know how much is biology, how much is nurture, how much is nature. All I know is I like the way they think on that one better. And it's up to me to pilfer and steal anything I can from anybody who can do something better than I can. Okay, I want to do just one more thing because I think it's so important for right now. And you've been so open about the fact that you suffer from anxiety and that it's actually a daily struggle. And, you know, it's at an all-time high right now. People are grasping at how to deal with it. You know, as you know, alcoholism is at its highest point. Domestic abuse is at its highest point. It's like we're all uh, struggling so hard to not be anxious and to cover it up. So any tools that you can give the listeners right now that have helped you and help you on a daily basis and to let them know that some days you're just going to be anxious and that that's the, the truth of it and it's not going to last forever. Um, on that day, but I would just like for you to address it. And I think we're incredibly fortunate to have someone as evolved as you are to present that to us at this time. First of all, the first thing I do is I acknowledge that it's not, it is my problem and it's not the world. You know, I used to think the world was a dangerous place and it, it is, but it's not as dangerous as I thought it is. And once I own that the issue was mine, Every morning, 
I, I set the table to be unfriendly towards my anxiety. I work out. If I get on the treadmill, the endorphins, it changes everything. And I don't allow myself too much downtime because downtime is, is the devil. It's the opportunity to think about all those things that you cannot control. So that's how I, why I do dumb stuff. I, I will put together a dollhouse. I, I played uh, Bach badly on my Instagram the other day just because I, I wanted to play a song. I'm, I'm learning all new kinds of things. So I always have a stack of things to do that if one thing goes away, I go on to the next and on to the next. I implore the power of music. I have a playlist. You start out with the mood you're in. Like if I'm anxious, I start out with anxious stuff. And then the songs slowly, slowly become more melodic, more, more soft to ease me into the direction that I need to go. I got a worry book. Don't use it anymore. I used to use it all the time when I was really, really under the gun. And I would write down all my worries. And some of the things about that loop worry thing you do is that you want to examine everything. But if you write it down, you know it's there. So you don't have to keep it in your head. And then the next time I go into my worry book, I have to look at my last worry, write down how it didn't work. It wasn't, it didn't happen. And I used it so often and so well, I don't have to use it at all anymore because I can put it to bed without writing it down. You know what? You're a yogi. I'm telling you, you may never have done a yoga class, but that's exactly what we do to deal with anxiety. Rodney and I, my husband and I, uh, teach a lot in the healthcare system, and we're dealing with anxiety often. And you're 100% right. You can't tell an anxious person to lay down and breathe, right? You, ha you have to get them moving. You have to disperse some of that energy. And then the goal is to eventually get them down on the ground in a forward bend because that will add to the relaxation. When you're anxious, you're not exhaling. So everything that you're doing dovetails so beautifully um, with yoga, which leads me to the definition of yoga, which is yoga chitta vritti nirodaha, which means yoga is the cessation or redirection of the thoughts. Yeah. And that will lead you to yoga. You train your brain. You're, you don't put your feet around your head necessarily. That can be fun, party trick. But it's about training your brain. And you say so much about stop saying, I can't. Train your brain. So I just want to acknowledge that we're on two different um, paths or processes but I feel like you just have to find yours and go with it because we're all saying basically the same thing. Right. And maybe that same thing is you're enough. Yeah, absolutely. You are enough. And you just have to believe it. And then you have to be courageous about it because there will be naysayers. And um, you, you got to feel good about who you are. And um, if you don't like it, if you don't like pieces of it, it is completely within your control. Beautiful. Any uh, closing words for our followers from you? No, not really. I had fun. I had a good time. Everybody <laughs> always says I, I'm very limber. I used to be a gymnast. You do take yoga. And I, and I took swing yoga once. And I got nauseous. The little swingy thing. Is that yoga? I took height yoga once. Uh -huh. And that was not for me. Uh -huh. It's not for me either. But yeah, so, but my sister, funny enough, I was talking to her, I was telling her about what I was getting ready to do. She says, yeah, I take yoga on Peloton all the time. And that's so me. Your class. That's my class. I love that. I love, but girl, I'm going to get you doing a meditation. I would love to. 
rather than getting on the bike to get those endorphins going, I would love to get you to sit with your stuff. And I, I just, oh, I would just love to be able um, to do that. And then for you to get me to uh, go through some of these other processes with you. I think that it would be such a dynamic duo, but we're going to get you in a meditation practice. Uh, so I, I instead of to. I could always use a new tool, you know what I mean? There's, <laughs> yeah. You never know enough. There's always, you know, sometimes you can't get on the treadmill. I may have to deal. So yes. And sometimes it could be good to empty your mind rather than fill it. There you go. And see who's love. living there. Yeah, I would love to do that. <laughs> Anyway, I'm kind of in love with you. I so appreciate you being here and hope that we can uh, do this again. And maybe we can even uh, see each other flesh to flesh at some point. I would love to. It would be a great honor. All right. At the end of uh, yoga, we always say namaste. And it means the deepest part of me bows and sees the deepest part of you. So I'm ending with namaste to Judge Lynn Toller. And namaste to you, Colleen. Thank you for listening. To get the most out of this show, check out the yoga videos available only on the Himalaya Learning platform. Himalaya Learning provides bite-sized courses from world-class thinkers and industry experts for you to enjoy in the app, on the go. To access exclusive content for this show and others like it, go to Himalaya.com and enter promo code YOGA for your first 14 days free. We hope you enjoy. This podcast is produced, recorded, and mixed by Cynthia Daniels at Monk Music Studios in East Hampton, New York. The theme music for Yoga for Life was composed by Rob and Melissa. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many roads that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com.